Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. So thankful that you're here this morning. Glad you could you can make it. Thankful for those that are joining us online today. We're going to be in James chapter four this morning, and, and let's just recap a little bit today. We're crossing the midway point in the book of James, and thus far, James has hit us very hard with several painful truths, hasn't he? We've learned in chapter one that we need to be patient, that we need to have joy even in the middle of great trials. We, we learn that our greatest temptations, our greatest problems in life are not necessarily things that are thrust upon us by the devil, but really things that come out of the very bottom and depths of our own hearts, out of our own desires. James has told us how we are to love and treat people, that we're to avoid favoritism, that we're not to judge people based on outward appearances, that we're not to only be hearers of the word, but to be doers Also, we learned that our tongues are powerful weapons, not only cutting uh, other people deeply, but ultimately revealing to everyone else the condition of our hearts. All that hurts. I don't like hearing that about myself. It's, It's painful, right? Well, this morning we come to a little bit of a reprieve. James has painted a a, a grim picture of any hope for us, but now James takes a turn. And while he does insist that we have many, many very serious bad problems, he introduces a solution this morning called grace. How many are thankful for God's grace? You can take a big sigh of relief today. We're not going to get hit over the head as James has been doing. We're going to talk about God's amazing grace. As James says, greater grace. Look at James chapter 4, starting in verse 1. We're going to look at the first six verses this morning. James says, What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James ended last week talking about being peacemakers, if you remember. And he begins this week with another rhetorical question. And he, it's regarding the lack of peace among church people, among believers. And he then describes how we as Christians are plagued by this war that rages inside of us, as he says. And how that war inside of us spills over into the rest of our lives through coveting and killing and impure motives 
and how we struggle with being friends with the world and faithful to God at the same time. And honestly, all of that with everything James has already told us paints a very dark, grim picture for us until you get to verse 6. And verse 6 says, but. Let me tell you that one of the greatest words in Scripture is that little word right there, but. But God. But He gives greater grace. So what is this grace? What is this grace that we've sang about this morning? This, this grace that we believe in. This grace that we believe that we're saved by. God's grace has been called unmerited favor. It's been called uh, God's riches at Christ's expense. I like that one. But grace in its simplest form is simply receiving something from someone else that you do not deserve. It's something that is unearned and it's something that you'll never be able to repay. For us, that is receiving from God through Christ that which we do not deserve, chiefly forgiveness and eternal life. C.S. Lewis said that the one thing that makes Christianity unique from all other world religions was not the incarnation, was not even the resurrection, but very simply was God's amazing grace. You see, God gives us what we deserve when we refuse Christ. We choose that for ourselves. And if that's what the direction we choose, God will give us the punishment that we deserve for all of eternity. But through Christ, we receive God's incredible, amazing grace. Charles Spurgeon said, when God enacts his laws, he's on a throne of legislation. When he administers these laws, he's on a throne of government. When he tries his creatures by these laws, he's on a throne of judgment. But when he receives petitions and dispenses favors, he is on a throne of grace. And I'll just be frank with you this morning. I am so thankful that my God sits on a throne of grace. That's what James finally introduces to us today is our need for God's grace. So I want to just walk through a few things about God's grace. We desperately need it so badly. James says, number one, you need grace for what's inside of you. He literally, as he's been doing, gets to the heart of the matter, that, that, that dark, broken heart inside of us. Besides the fighting going on between people in the church, as James points out, We've got to realize there's a battle that is raging inside, within each and every one of us. He says all this bickering, all these problems, all the messes, they come out of the passions that are waging war within you. And See, there's a battle that's constantly raging inside each and every one of us. We once had this fallen nature, right? This fleshly nature. And even though we're saved, there's still tension that exists between the old man, the old woman, and the new man, the new woman in Jesus Christ. And when this old nature gains a foothold in your life, or when the old nature takes ground on the battlefield, if you will, that's when you see some of these problems coming out. Those passions giving way to sinful actions. The NASB translates verse 2 very well. It says, you lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. It's a process. It's the same process if you remember from James chapter 1 that James described how uh, sin or temptation gives birth to sin. Sin then grows up and gives way to death. The Apostle Paul dealt with this same thing, and I love his his transparency in Romans chapter 7. The Apostle Paul said, For I do not understand what I'm doing. 
Because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. How many, you don't have to raise your hand, but can't you relate to that? I'll say amen myself, nobody else will. He says, when I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. You see, I think one of the the big problems for Christians today, church, is that far too many Christians simply refuse to participate in the war. The war is raging within us, whether we're engaged in battle or not. And if we choose not to fight, we will be overrun. Pastor John Piper put it this way. (laughs) He said, I hear so many Christians murmuring about their imperfections and their failures and their addictions and their shortcomings. And I see so little war. Murmur, murmur, murmur. Why am I this way? He says, make war. He says, if you wonder how to make war, go to the manual. Don't just bellyache about your failures. Make war. So how do we make war? Well, we go to the manual. Absolutely. But it means we got to fight. It is a fight. And we have to fight against that old nature, that old you with everything in you. Tooth and nail. Fight the old man, the old woman off. But here's the thing. Yes, we've got to do that. But I'm going to, I'm going to tell you folks, willpower is not enough. You will never will your way out of your sinful nature. It wasn't enough for Paul. It's not enough for John Piper. It's not enough for Tyler Shields. We need something more than self-determination. That's why Paul went on to say, What a wretched man that I am. Who, not what, who will rescue me from this body of death? And he says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he goes on to say, he condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. That, folks, right there is God's grace. There was no hope for us, for humanity. We didn't deserve it. Matter of fact, we deserve the opposite. We still don't deserve it. And Lord knows we'll never be able to repay him for what he's done for us. But God gives us this grace Over and over and over again anyway. And it's through this grace. Not just our willpower. It's through God's grace that we will wage war on the flesh. And fight the battle that's raging inside of us. And grow more like Christ. Through this process we call sanctification. Sometimes that inner person. Shows up in our outward expressions. Even as Christians. Doesn't it? Again, that's a hard amen, but it's true. And so we need God's grace for not only what's inside of you, but you need God's grace for what comes out of you. (laughs) We can spend a lot of time right here talking about how the inner person sometimes leads us to do and to say things that we probably don't want to do or say, as, as Paul says, those things that I hate. Or especially say things to people that we really know we shouldn't have. That maybe hurt them or done things that we simply know God would not want us to do. But building off what James talked about with the power of the tongue in chapter 3. In this context, James is specifically talking not just about sinful action and sinful words. He's talking about prayer. And he's talking about the kind of prayer in this passage that comes out of our hearts. 
In verse 3, James adds a qualifier to the way that we should pray. You remember back in chapter 1, he said that the one who uh, prays with doubt shouldn't expect to receive anything. So we know we need to pray in faith. But here he says, we not only need to pray and believe that we will receive what we're asking God to give us, but you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. James says God doesn't grant this kind of request because your goal is to spend whatever it is you're asking for, should God give it to you, on those very sinful desires that are waging war inside of you. And I think far too often we ask God for things that He answers and He gives because, yeah, they do line up with His will. Maybe it's ultimately good for us or good for someone else or it's really what God's want, God wants. But the real reason that we ask for those things, if we're, we're honest... We want it for us. And we would take that if God should give it to us, even if it's not what God wants. I think that's called sin. But fortunately, this is what's awesome. Fortunately, we have a God that is so wise and so kind and so gracious that sometimes He tells us no. When Tyler's on his knees, thinks he's got it all figured out, my father says, no, Tyler, not that. Because can you imagine, just think about your own life for just a minute. Can you imagine, over the course of your life, if God had given you every single thing that you'd ask Him for, the mess that you would have made, I think that's the exact theology that drove the great theologian Garth Brooks to write that song about unanswered prayers. And yes, I'm going to quote it because it's very sound doctrine. He said, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. He said, remember when you're talking to the man upstairs that just because he doesn't answer does not mean he doesn't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are what? Unanswered prayers. That's not just good music. That's good theology. And so we ask, okay, how do I know what I ought to pray for and what I shouldn't? How do I know if my motives are pure? Well, for one, we should be close enough to God and honest enough with ourselves to know the difference. But here's the even more amazing thing about our God is that God gives us grace even in this matter. Grace not only to not answer a foolish prayer, but even greater grace to pray for us when we don't even know what we ought to pray. When we don't know what we should say and what should come out of our mouths, the Apostle Paul says that in Romans chapter 8 again, he says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What a grace God pours upon us, church. Grace to fight the war within us, to make us more like Christ. Grace to uh, not answer some of our requests and even pray on our behalf. But here, thirdly, even more important, is you need grace 
for what's around you. James says in verse 4, let me read it again. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So James goes back to the Old Testament here, uses some Old Testament language. All throughout the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, they're compared to an adulterous wife who turns away from her husband, who's God, and chases after all of these other false gods. And to us, James is simply saying, you can't be both. You can't be friends with the world. If you do, you're going to be an enemy of God. You can't have it both ways. And this is where it gets difficult, I think, today for us trying to live as a Christian. Because not only do you have this war that's raging inside of you, but it feels like there's a great war that's raging all around us. And sometimes we get sucked right into the middle of it. And it's so easy sometimes we think, well... Maybe this is not such a big deal. I'll compromise a little bit here. I'll miss church a little bit there. I won't read my Bible a little bit here. I'll do this thing. I don't think it's such a big deal crossing this line. And so many good Christians and many good churches are falling into the trap of trying to be friends with the world while making themselves enemies to God. And it's so easy to fall into. So what do we do? Fortunately, James reminds us that our God is a jealous God. While in our fleshliness, we, he says, you all are, are, are jealous too. You envy one another. You uh, are, are bitter towards one another. But our God, James tells us in verse 5, he envies us righteously like a good godly husband who is righteously jealous and passionate for his bride. Our God fights for us. He seeks to wash us and to make us clean and to bring us back to himself when we've gone astray. And he pours upon us grace after grace after grace when we're dealing with everything going on inside of us and going on around us. And he, and, and he takes us to the final point in verse 6. When we have such a desperate situation and we're such a, a miserable and hopeless people when you, if you left out verse 6, right? And Paul said again, What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me? And James concludes, but God, but he gives greater grace. Greater grace, not just grace. Extraordinary grace, amazing grace. It's not something, not just something we don't deserve and something we can't repay, but it's something incredible, something indescribable, the, 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 the magnitude of God's grace. It's grace for today. It's grace for tomorrow. It's grace for every day in the past. It's grace for what's in me. It's grace for what's going on around me. Do you know what grace really looks like, church? Do you know what a perfect picture of grace actually is? It's, it's, it's Jesus. Jesus is the perfect picture of God's grace. It's so much, it's just more and more of Him in our lives and becoming more and more like Jesus. That wonderful old saint, St. Patrick of Ireland said, it's, it's Christ with me. It's Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left. It's Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I rise. It's Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in the eye of everyone that sees me. And Christ in the ear of everyone who hears me. Christ is the perfect picture and demonstration of God's 
grace. And this morning, as we're talking about grace, come up here, big boy. Just a little illustration. I want us to understand the magnitude of God's grace, okay? Because the way that our minds work and the way that we operate is that we tend to favor people that deserve whatever it is, right? We favor good people, law-abiding people, honest people. But God favors those who not only don't deserve His grace, but actually deserve the opposite. And this is a good-looking boy. <laughs> Can everybody see him? <laughs> this is my son, if you didn't know that. This is Easton. And Easton is an awesome young man. He's so good-looking, and he looks just like his dad. <laughs> he's, he's brilliant. Oh, my gosh, he's so smart. He does so good in school. And he challenges us to keep him challenged. But not only that, Easton is a good, good kid, if you know him. He's a kind-hearted kid. I, Easton is about as perfect as a kid could be. And I just want you to take a good, long look at my son. This is my only son. Okay, bud. Thank you. Give Easton a round of applause. <laughs> my only son who I love... I cherish him. I'd do anything for him. I'd lay down my life for him. He's the only son that I will ever, ever have. Maybe you're a parent and you can understand how that feels. If not, pretend with me for just a moment. Let's say you have a son or a child like that, or pretend that you do, and he's perfect. But then one day, tragically, your son is taken away from you. Tragically, brutally murdered. Suffers horrifically at the hand of that murderer. And all of that is stripped away from you. Imagine how that would feel for just a moment. In time, your son's murderer is found. And... You're faced with a choice. If you're like me and many other parents, you probably wouldn't let this go to court. You'd hunt this person down. And you'd enact vengeance. If you did that and you took it upon yourself, that would be vengeance. The other option is to allow the legal system to do what it does, to prosecute this murderer at the full extent of the law, carry out their sentence, and even execute them. And if you did that, that would be justice. There would be nothing wrong with that. You'd be totally justified for that person's life to come to an end. But here's the third option, option number C. If you plead for a pardon for the murderer, and you forgive him, as if no crime ever occurred. And then you invite the murderer into your home. You adopt the person that killed your son. And you make him your son. That would not be vengeance. That wouldn't be justice. That would be grace. And that is the grace that God our Father 
has for us. We who murdered his son. And he's given us the opportunity through that son. To come into his home. To sit at his table. And to be called his child. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe you realize through everything that we've talked about. That you have a need for this great grace. And let me tell you what to do with it. Today you simply need to accept it. It really is that simple. God has given you the free gift of salvation through his son. That he allowed to die on the cross for you. And all you have to do is say yes Lord. Believe. No strings attached. It's free this morning. If you're saved, are you thankful for that kind of grace in your life? Let's stand together, church, as we close in prayer. Heavenly Father. How sobering, Lord. Just to think of the sacrifice that you made for us. Lord, of how undeserving we are of the life of your son. And God, not only that, but even through this life so many times, We fail you. We take all this grace and mercy that you've given us time and time again and we just throw it back in your face. And what do you do? (laughs) You give us greater grace. Lord, if there's someone here that needs that grace in their life today, Lord, I pray that they would just receive it. That they'd be saved. Lord, if there's someone that's drifted away. I pray today they'd come back to you. Like a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter. Lord, you're you're welcoming them back home this morning. And God, for your church. I pray that we'd be found faithful today. That you'd forgive us. For our failures taking advantage of your grace for not extending that grace to those who desperately need it around us God I pray today you'd make us whole we ask this in the precious name of your son Jesus Amen folks are already coming to pray if there's a decision that you need to make this morning or if you need to come and talk to the Lord for a little while why don't you come as we sing Amazing grace. Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.